Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Brent Foster, and this is the 39th week of the Weekly Market Insights on the Northbound Wealth Podcast. Let's dive in. April 24, 2023, stocks show small losses after a mixed week. Stocks remains resilient last week amid mixed earnings reports, hawkish Fed speak, and lingering recession fears, closing out the five trading days with small losses. The Dow Jones Industrial Average slipped 0.23%, while the S&P 500 lost 0.10%. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.42% for the week. And MSCI Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, added 0.10%. So what does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 33,808. That's up 2% for the year. NASDAQ closed at 12,072. That's up 15.34% for the year. MSCI EFA index closed at 2147. That's up 10.49% for the year. And the S&P 500 closed at 4,133 or up 7.66% for the year. And the 10-year treasury note closed at 3.57%. That's down about 31 basis points or 0.31%. For the year, stocks hold firm. So, uh, stocks traded most of last week around the flat line as investors grappled with several headwinds. The first was a disappointing earnings result, uh, coupled with uh, the absence of earnings guidance from some companies due to uncertain economic climate. Weak economic data, including declines in housing and leading economic indicators, also weighed on invent- investor sentiment. Finally, multiple Fed officials spoke last week, signaling that inflation remained too high and that further rate hikes may be likely. Underneath the seemingly placid surface of major market indices, there was a substantial price action at the individual stock and sector level. Poor earnings results hit communication service sector stocks and regional banks, while margin pressures put pressure on auto stock valuations. Housing weakness. Two housing reports reflected ongoing fragility in the housing market and Fed prevailing economic slowdown worries. Sales of new homes fell 0.8% in March, dragged down by a 5.2% slide in new multifamily home construction. Sales of single family homes were bright. There were bright spot rising 2.7% to a three month high, though that hopeful note was tempered by an 8.8% drop in new application permits, an indicator of future new home building. Existing home sales also suffered a month-over-month decline in March, falling 2.4%. Sales plummeted 22% from March 2022 levels as higher mortgage rates and tight inventories impacted uh, affordability. So this week, key economic data, consumer confidence, new home sales, durable goods orders, GDP or gross domestic product, jobless claims, uh, and then Friday, personal income and outlays, consumer sentiment. That's all happening between Tuesday and Friday. And today is Monday. Um, This week, companies reporting earnings. These are the notable ones. Monday, the Coca-Cola company. Tuesday would be Microsoft. That's a large position. And uh, you're going to hear later on this podcast kind of what's, what's up 
coming or what analysts think about um, some of these stocks. So stay tuned for that. It's exciting. Uh, General Electric, Verizon, Visa, Alphabet, or Google. Uh, General Motors, McDonald's, Ameriprise, 3M, Texas Instruments, UPS, Pepsi, NextEra Energy, Spotify, Kimberly Clark. That's just Tuesday alone. Wednesday, the Boeing Company, ServiceNow, Thermo Fisher or TMO, uh, General Dynamics, eBay, Boston Scientific, and Norfolk Southern. Thursday, Amazon, Intel, AbbVie, MasterCard, Bristol Myers, Squibb, uh, Caterpillar, Merck, the Southern Company, Eli Lilly Company, Northrop Grumman, uh, Comcast Corp, and then Friday, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Charter Communications. Now, I'm going to have a list of probably six or seven stocks that I'm going to actually go through and share with you the breakdown of price targets and uh, multiples and where analysts are thinking these stocks are headed. Some have already reported from last week and some are actually upcoming and reporting this week, but uh, it's a little different spin. I, I normally don't do that. It's usually work reserved for myself. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. And uh, let's see here, tax benefit and credits, FAQs for retirees. There's lots of questions that come up about income taxes after retirement. Listed are answers to just a few common questions from retired taxpayers that I get. So what types of income are taxable? So some common types of taxable income include military and retirement pay, all are part of pensions and some of retirement accounts, uh, unemployment compensation, gambling income, bonuses, uh, and awards for work, and alimony or prizes. What types of income are non-taxable? A few examples of non-taxable income are veteran benefits and disability pay for specific military or government-related incidents, workers' compensation, and cash rebates from a dealer or manufacturer of an item that you purchased. Why is my pension taxed? It might depend on how the money was put into the pension. For example, if the money was not taxed before going into the plan, it may be taxable. Conversely, if your contribution is from already taxed dollars, that portion of the pension may not be taxed. And again, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. This tip was adapted from IRSSEFGov. So check it out. Stay tuned for these uh, earnings reports and for some analysis from some of your favorite stocks and some of Northbound Wealth's largest holdings. Hey, everybody. This is Brent Foster. We're going to go over Apple stock and I'm uh, Samik Chatterjee, CFA over at JP Morgan. It is overweight Apple. Um, it's current trading as of April 18th is $166.47 a share. Uh, they have the price target at uh, $190 a share, and their prior price target was $175. So they're stepping up their price targets for 2023. Uh, they go on and uh, to say that we see a divergence of the upcoming earnings print in relation to estimate revisions and share price implications as fundamental weakness in the hardware categories driven by a pullback in consumer spending will drive consensus estimates lower, but the magnitude of the downward revision being limited to a couple of percentage points will reinforce positioning of the shares for resilience. We see the combination of number one, downside to revenue earnings being limited despite in a tough macro situation. Macro basically, you guys, means uh, the tough uh, economic environment macro that's affecting the stock. Dividend buyback support to total return as well as earnings growth. And three, uh, Apple shares trading at 26 times uh, price to earnings within a recent trading range of 22 to 30 times 
uh, and below peak multiple of 30 times reinforcing valuation still have room despite outperformance of the shares year to date, all supporting a positive outcome for the uh, share price that diverges from the estimate revisions expected coming out of the print. Returning to fundamentals, we expect modest beats to the March uh, fiscal second quarter uh, guidance through better iPhone revenues as channel builds inventory following supply constraints. That means China. But at the same time, expect the company to issue guidance for another quarter of revenue declines year over year in the uh, June quarter, uh, that's uh, fiscal third quarter of 2023. As demand remains challenged across the hardware categories, the combination will lead to downward visions to consensus estimates, including forecasts for revenue declines year over year for the full year, fiscal year 23, and modest downsides to earnings estimates as well. Uh, while focus is starting to already shift towards the potential launch of a VR headset in June and the iPhone 16 launch in September, the limited changes to estimates despite a tough macro environment is going to support continued outperformance in the meantime. We are raising our 20, December 2023 price target to $190 a share versus $175 prior despite lower earnings estimates as we see the earnings multiple expanding in response to the resilient positioning. So expect uh, the March uh, quarter end beat to targets on the iPhone revenue tailwinds from channel inventory build. We are modestly raising our revenue and earnings forecast for uh, the March quarter to $94, excuse me, $94.9 billion or $1.49 from $92.7 billion or $1.44 versus consensus of $92.50 or $92.50 billion uh, or $1.43 in earnings. The improved March quarter outlook is led by an increase in our near-term iPhone volume forecast to about 58 million units versus 54 million prior, which is driving our iPhone revenue estimates to $52.8 billion from $49 billion versus consensus of 48.8 billion led by tailwinds from the channel building inventory over the past 90 days and is particularly offset by weaker demand for other hardware categories but june quarter end to be guided to another year-over-year -year revenue decline led by slower momentum across hardware on the flip side we are moderating our revenue earn and earnings forecast for the june quarter to 78.9 billion or a dollar uh, 13 from 82.9 billion uh, quarter of year over year revenue declines for Apple, which compares to prior expectations for flat growth, led by lower demand across most hardware categories, including iPhone, which uh, 36.3 billion versus 39.5 billion prior. MacBooks 6.9 billion versus 7.3 billion prior, as well as wearables, home and, and accessories, 7.3 billion versus 7.7 .7 billion prior. Uh, let's see. So, uh, their JP Morgan is rating Apple shares overweight, given their favorable outlook on iPhone and service revenues relative to investor expectations, catalyst to accelerate revenue growth and upside risk to our base forecast for about $10 earnings. Um, CAGR. We see upside in several aspects of the business as well as financials that remain unappreciated by investors, namely the transformation of the company to services, growth in the installed base, technology leadership, and optionality around capital deployment, 
all of which together led us to expect double-digit earnings growth and a modest re-rating for the shares. On valuation, we are raising our December 2023 price target to $190 versus $175 a share based on PE multiple of 27 times versus 25 times prior our current year 2024 earnings estimate. Apple shares have traded closer to 30x or 30 times multiple PE following the re-rating on account of services growth as well as expectations of better execution on the product cycle, which we expect to be a multiple investors are willing to return to attributing to the shares, which means the share price should go up with beats driven by more sustainable secular drivers in iPhone and services with a larger installed base, higher share in 5G smartphones and better services or better service monetization, meaning they make more money on what they're doing in services altogether turning out to be a strategic advantage for the company. So um, let's see here, the market drivers to that, they just, uh, you know, there's 72% of that is market driver attribution, sector attribution is 12%, macro is three, style is two, and idiosyncratic risk is 10%. Um, I won't go dive into all the minutiae because it's really boring to most people. Uh, but, uh, well, here's what they see for, uh, September quarter end, which is Q3 lower quarter, as well as fiscal year 24 estimates. So if you're hearing a theme here throughout this, er, this, uh, review is that, uh, looks like we're going to have a bit of a slowdown here coming up, which is kind of what's expected. And what I've been talking about with, uh, the charts and the technical analysis spotlight is that we're probably going to get a decline uh, in the second half of this year that retests the lows of last year, which is S&P 3,500, um, potentially a retest of that. When we have an earnings slowdown and a, a macro environment, a political, a political environment, geopolitical environment that isn't favorable, um, a fiscal environment that's not favorable, raising interest rates, they're going to, it's going to have a lag effect. It's all going to kind of coalesce around, I think what's going to be maybe, the second half of this year. And then, you know, there is, there's a chance that we could finish the year up, but not without maybe a decline from these levels right now. I think we're a bit too high. So macro backdrop, um, is, is going to this, I guess what I'm getting at is the, the indicative, uh, decline that's likely to come, um, is is showing up in Apple stock. Apple is a large, large weight of the S and P 500 and of quite a bit of our indexes. So, um, you know, it's not surprising to see those two line up. We're just waiting for that decline. So, uh, we position our portfolios. Uh, it doesn't mean you bail. It just means that you understand where you're at and your risk and all of that type of thing. Uh, and you need to talk to your financial advisor about specific advice on where you should be. Uh, in your portfolios. But uh, let's keep going here. We're, let's get back to the third quarter of this year, what they expect. They expect lower demand environment to proliferate beyond the June quarter into the, sec uh, the September quarter, which is Q3, which is driving us to not only moderate our estimates for the quarter, uh, which means basically 91.2 billion uh, unit, uh, billion in rev, uh, uh, a dollar forty uh, in earnings versus uh, ninety five point five billion dollar uh, fifty uh, in earnings prior and consensus of ninety two point seven billion uh, or a dollar thirty nine. But also our fiscal year twenty three estimates of three hundred eighty two billion five dollars and ninety 
cents versus 388 billion. See so here that the billions drop down from 388 to 382, uh, and then uh, $6.05 prior and consensus of 388 billion in rev or uh, $5.96 in earnings, as well as our fiscal year 2024 estimates, 406 billion, uh, $6.65 in earnings versus 415 billion of $6.85 prior and consensus of 415 billion or uh, $6.63 uh, in earnings. However, to put the changes in context, our fiscal year in 23 estimate for revenue and earnings moderates only by 1.6% and 2.5% respectively, despite an increasingly tough macro for the consumer tech uh, environment with a pullback in consumer spending recently. Expect robust dividend and buyback authorization to reinforce relative safe haven positioning. Um, Apple, by the way, is the most widely held and least likely sold stocks of of the of of all. So so you've got Apple, Amazon, uh, Apple. Well, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google. Um, those those companies are are often not uh, are a big part of portfolios. Uh, let's see. With Apple exiting the December quarter with 165 billion of cash. By the way. 165 billion of cash and investments on the balance sheet. We continue to expect a robust shareholder return, including number one, raising the annualized dividend from 92 cents to 98 cents, implying a dividend yield of about 1%. And number two, increasing the share repurchase program for from 405 billion to 495 billion, almost half a trillion dollars of re of repurchasing, uh, implying 132 billion outstanding on the authorization as of December 2022, or about 5% of the market cap, which we believe will reinforce investor sentiment relative to shares of Apple representing a relative safe haven in the current macro backdrop with a robust, a robust balance sheet and flexibility to buy back shares. Okay, another bullet point, modest risk to estimates in a tough macro environment with support from balance sheets, uh, buybacks, and valuation multiple will likely reinforce relative safe haven positioning and drive upside to shares. Despite our expectations of downside to consensus estimates, we are raising our 2023 price target as we see the outcomes from the print reinforcing the positioning of Apple shares as a defensive technology company, as well as a relative safe haven given the combination of number one, downside to revenue earnings being limited despite being in a tough macro environment, dividend and buyback share support to total return as well as earnings growth, and three, Sorry, I skipped two. Well, I ran, I ran through two, and this is three. Apple shares trading at 26 times uh, their PE within a recent trading range of that 22 multiple to 30 multiple and below peak multiples of 30 reinforcing valuations still have room despite outperformance of the shares year to date. It's amazing to look at these, uh, the comparisons between fiscal uh, last year and what they're expecting this year. Um, even though you're seeing a bit of a of a, a down throttle, um, you know their investment thesis is we rate Apple shares overweight, favorable outlook to iPhone and services revenue relative to investor expectations, 
catalyst to accelerate revenue growth and upside risk to our base forecast for 10% earnings uh, CAGR. We see an upside in several aspects of the business as well as financials that remain underappreciated by investors, namely the transformation of the company to services, growth in the installed base, technology leadership, and optionality around capital deployment, all of which together leads us to expect double-digit earnings growth and a modest re-rating for the shares. And um, already went through valuations, uh, but let's try to, I'll try to, Apple shares have traded closer to 30 multiples, so they're trading below that. Um, obviously, uh, with earnings growth for that specific company, which is a good sign, uh, even though we're, we're going to have a, a slower rate of change in earnings growth, which kind of technically is a decline. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. Um, uh, let's see, expectations of better execution on the product cycle. We expect to be, uh, expect to be a multiple investors are willing to return attributing to the shares with beats driven by more sustainable secular drivers and iPhone and services with larger installed base, higher share in 5G smartphones and better services mod uh, monetization altogether, turning out to be a strategic advantage for the company. Let's see, key man risk around, let's see, let's go over risks to the price target. Uh, so there's industry downside risks. So deceleration or contraction in the handset and smartphone market could be faster than expected, obviously. Economic conditions or shifting consumer demand could cause greater than expected deceleration or contraction in the handset and smartphone markets. This would negatively impact Apple's prospects for growth and shares may fail to achieve our price target as a result. Increasing competitive pressures in international markets. Apple is increasingly participating in international markets such as China and India, where local players, which are better situated, could leverage their position and pull on levers such as pricing to make the market more competitive. In addition, tariffs enacted by local governments may further hurt Apple's ability to compete effectively in international markets. Company-specific downside risks are investments. Uh, in, an investment in new business strategies and acquisitions could be fruitless. Um, Apple has historically invested in new businesses or new business strategies and acquisitions. As such, success in these investments has low visibility at this time and could lead to greater than expected liabilities and expense. Additionally, new investments could have a negative impact on current operations by uh, distracting management. Key man risk around departure of chief executive officer. While risks related to departure of management executives appear considerably lower relative to the past, we believe the execution on strategic priorities under CEO Tim Cook's leadership still presents modest risk to the share price, although we see a strong group of executives to support business performance without disruptions. We obviously, Northbound Wealth Management, we like Apple, we're, we're in the stock, it's one of our larger positions and we enjoy clients participating in the growth of Apple. Uh, I think I think that Apple touches most of everything that we, we do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and pretty awesome company. We're pretty proud of it and what it's doing. And so keep up the great work, Apple. And uh, on to the next stock. Let's talk about the next stock. It's Microsoft. Microsoft is widely held in our portfolios, directly or indirectly, but we've got a across the board uh, recommendations of overweight and uh, price target of 305. Price target end date would be the end of this year. Uh, price right now, as of April 18th, 
yesterday is $288.37 upside to the price target is 5.77%. Uh, so not much upside because it is priced up right now. And that's good for everybody who is in it. Uh, not good for folks who don't, who don't own the stock, but I have a hard time believing you wouldn't, whether it's in the S and P the NASDAQ or individually owning it, owning the stock. Uh, it's a, it's a good company. They're doing a good job on execution. Uh, JP Morgan, some of the best in the business, Mark Murphy on their research side at, uh, JP, which I, I like what he has to say. I'll kind of go over some of his comments and interject some of mine. Uh, Microsoft enjoys a broad portfolio of strategic products, sits at the intersection of digital transformations and cloud adoption, and chief investment officers and CIOs view it as the most critical and indispensable IT mega vendor. Our positive bias on Microsoft is rooted in three main factors. Number one, global movement toward multi-cloud architectures benefiting Azure. Uh, number two, Microsoft's linkage to large digital transformation initiatives based on our intersections with dozens of CIOs and, excuse me, interactions with dozens of CIOs. And number three, uh, favorable positioning for hybrid cloud architectures via Azure Stack, while Microsoft shares are valued at a premium on a PE basis. We believe this premium is warranted based on, a, uh, on faster recent organic revenue growth, robust uh, FCFs or future cash flows generation, a relatively stronger position within the enterprise and our belief that Microsoft has pulled ahead of the pack with a state-of-the-art cloud platform. Uh, valuation, our $305 uh, price target for the end of the year is based on a 32 uh, times uh, uh, earnings valuation, um, current year 2023 earnings or uh, future cash flows. So they're basing it off of that, a 32 multiple based on all of that, which is a at a premium to its peer groups, which trade at about a 28 multiple. So they're saying they they give Microsoft a little more of a premium and it's worth it. Tech comps include, uh, so the comps they're using on that is, is CRM, which is Salesforce, Amazon, Adobe, INTU, which is uh, Intuit, Apple, Meta, and Google. The multiple is at a premium to comps to account for relatively stickier, more recurring enterprise software revenue streams, as well as long-term upside revenue potential being unlocked by AI capabilities, lower SBC expense, yielding pure future cash flows than pures, and uh, materially less exposure to advertising uh, e-commerce devices, et cetera, compared to the peer group. Microsoft enjoys a large mix of renewable revenue, which typically earns a company a premium relative to companies with a higher mix of transactional revenue, such as Apple. Our valuation is based on our relative value analysis of mature software companies and our expectation that Microsoft can deliver on its next chapter while continuing to deliver strong free cash flow generation. Risks to rating and price target. So risks to the downside, uh, one of the ones, there's probably three or four here, heavy competition in both consumer and enterprise markets. So Microsoft's participation in a diverse array of markets exposes it to broad competitive pressures. With the exception of Xbox and to some extent Surface, Microsoft has struggled to find substantial traction in the consumer device markets to date. 
And its stronghold within the enterprise continues to be threatened by competition in the public cloud, open source, operating systems, and server product arenas. While we believe Microsoft is winning the majority of its competitive battles, technology markets and competitor tactics are likely to evolve, i.e. like Google. Uh, competing in uh, open AI type of stuff. So uh, investments in growth products may not result in profitability. It's similar to what, what the analysts about Apple were saying, but Microsoft continues to invest in its core. Uh, so for the example, uh, Windows and Office and things like that. And emerging categories like Azure or Office 365, Surface, and while a few of these have reached commercial success, financial success and profitability may not materialize to a satisfactory degree. So in other words, it may not meet their expectations or Wall Street's expectations. Slower than expected leverage could result in earnings per share downside. So Microsoft's margin profile could uh, proceed slower than anticipated and result in an EPS downside that could dampen investor sentiment. This could come from slower than anticipated revenue growth driven by worsening futures or FX environment or slower adoption of newer offerings. A slower than anticipated margin improvement of the hardware businesses could also drive potential downside. Additionally, a slower pace of share repurchases could limit the EPS upside and drive the stock below our price target. And another risk, uh, Azure growth could decelerate faster than expected. So growth in Microsoft Azure has uh, been double digits for two years. Our CIO survey work suggests that enterprise IT usage of Azure is likely to gain share versus Amazon AWS or Amazon Web Services, uh, which by the way is one of Amazon's most profitable um, segments. Our recent field work highlights the view that Azure is, a, is as competitive with Amazon AWS as it, it's ever been. However, AWS remains the top player in the space, which could slow uh, share shifting. Should this occur, there could be downside to our estimates and the stock could react negatively. The commentary, hopefully you guys did too, and on to the next stock. All right, so we've gone over Apple, we've gone over Microsoft, let's touch on Meta. So Meta has got a recommendation of overweight, price target of 270, that price target end date is the end of the year of 2023. The price right now is $217.89 as of April 18th close. And then we've got upside or downside to the price target. 23.92% is the upside from 217 to 270. So they're seeing an increase in the stock price there. And uh, Doug Ann Muth of JP Morgan uh, talks about what his opinion is of it. And let's let's dive into some of what he's saying here. So the investment thesis is we believe Meta's virtual ownership of the social graph, strong competitive moat, and focus on the user experience position it to become an enduring blue chip company built for the long term. Meta is in rarefied air across the combination of scale, growth, and profitability as the company's massive reach and engagement continue to drive network effects and its targeting abilities uh, provide significant value to advertisers. Uh, importantly, 2023 may be the year of efficiency, but we may believe uh, but we believe Meta is building the critical muscle for financial discipline over the long run. Uh, while Meta shares have been more than doubled off their early November lows, we still think there's meaningful upside ahead driven by 
accelerating revenue growth, continued cost efficiencies, and still attractive valuation. So valuation, um, he goes on and talks about a few other things, but then valuation, our December 2023 price target of $270 is based on an 18 multiple, so 18x. Our 2024 earnings gap EPS of $15.13, which is supported by our uh, discounted cash flow model or DCF model. We apply a slight premium to the SPX, which the SPX, if you don't know, is the S&P 500, as we have greater confidence in Meta's top line reacceleration and appreciate management's recent focus on cost. Wow, Zuck, you know, Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg finally focusing on costs instead of just like spending like an, an insane person. We use this valuation approach as we believe it appropriately balances Meta's valuation relative to its growth and industry peers. Our DCF or discounted cash flows results in an estimated value of $288 per share and employs a 12% WACC, W-A-C-C, uh, and a 10X terminal EBITDA multiple and a 3% long-term growth rate. So risks uh, or risk rating to the price target. Downside risk includes number one, slowing engagement, especially in younger demographics and more mature markets. Yeah, I would say that's probably a big one. Um, if people stop using Facebook, then the advertising revenue is going to be, uh, the rate of change there would be um, decelerating. Number two, the macro backdrop remains uncertain and volatile. Number three, lack of improvement from Apple privacy changes uh, would be disappointing. Uh, so if things get worse there. Number four, reels. Uh, I think many of you probably use Reels, remains in early stage. Five, competition for online and mobile ad dollars from Google, TikTok, and other online advertisers or advertising companies. Number six, most of the EPS revisions have played out with uh, cost cutting. Number seven, metaverse investments are difficult to get comfortable with and could become a distraction to management. And eight, uh, let's see, share structure and Mark Zuckerberg's control. He, by the way, if you don't know, he owns quite a bit of control of the company. And nine, worse than expected impact from regulatory changes. Uh, I think, I think number nine could actually sneak up and bite them if they're not even worse than it already has if they're not careful. On to the next stock, you guys. Let's keep going. All right, so let's get through another one here. Stock on the deck is Amazon. So we've got a recommendation of overweight, price target $135 a share. The, the end date on that price target is the end of the year of 2023. The current price as of close of business yesterday, $102.30. The upside or downside to the price target is 31.96% upside actually. So from 102 to 135, that's a nice upside uh, potential in the stock. And uh, I'm glad that it's one of my larger holdings. And it's probably one of the top performers uh, in my book of business year to date. Uh, and let's see here, we've got some equity research from Doug and Muth at JP Morgan. Um, I, I do like what he has to say. I think he's spot on. And here we go. So investment thesis, we believe Amazon is well positioned as the market leader in e-commerce and public cloud where the secular shifts remain early. U.S. e-commerce represents about 20% of adjusted retail sales, and we estimate about 15% of workloads are in the cloud today. We believe Amazon's flexibility is pushing first-party versus third-party inventory, and its prime offering both serve as major market advantages in its retail business 
and its multi-year head start in the cloud has also led to about 35% AWS global market share. AWS is Amazon Web Services. Amazon is also starting to show more profit with its high growing AWS and advertising revenue streams, also its most profitable. So valuation, our December 23 price target at $135 a share is based on 13.5 multiples. So 13.5X, our 2024 earnings adjusted EBITDA of 100 billion. A discount to Microsoft currently trading at 18 times and Apple trading at 19 times given Amazon's lower profitability profile. So it is justified to have it trading at a lower prof, uh, multiple, but not that low, right? So risks to the rating and price downside risks include number one, revenue growth fails to reaccelerate amid macro headwinds. Number two, retail margins fail to expand and return to MSD percent levels. Uh, number three, AWS revenue growth continues to decelerate and or AWS margins compressed. Number four, Amazon struggles to gain further share of US uh, e-commerce with more competition from Shop, which is Shopify and B&M retailers. Uh, for example, that would that's brick and mortar retailers. Uh, that's Walmart, Target, Costco, et cetera. Uh, number five, increased US and EU, which is European Union regulatory and antitrust scrutiny could be a multi-year overhang. And number six, less valuation support relative to other mega caps, such as Meta, Google and Apple. So uh, they are also in the stock. They basically give their disclaimers that they are in it. They are somewhat biased in it. Da, 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 da. Um, uh, I'm glad that uh, my clients own it, uh, whether directly or indirectly through an index, but um, I'm excited about uh, what the future holds for Amazon. And uh, they just need to execute on what they're doing continue to drive profitability and it's hard to escape Amazon. Uh, I, you know, global peers, uh, other companies like it globally would be Mer uh, Mercado Libre, uh, Vipshop and JD.com. Uh, so the, those are global peers, peers here that they're competing against uh, also include Alphabet, Netflix, Walmart, eBay. They we'll see how broader macro factors affect Amazon, but right now it's not, they're doing well. They've kind of bottomed out. I'm glad the stock is moving and moving in the right direction. I think they have great leadership and management team as well. All right, on to the next stock. So Kenneth Worthington, CFA over at JP Morgan Equity Research. Uh, Charles Schwab is the next star. The, the Charles Schwab Corporation provides a variety of financial services to individual investors, independent investment managers, re retirement plans and institutions. The company provides its clients with securities, brokerage, banking, and related financial services through its offices in the United States, Puerto Rico, and the United Kingdom. Uh, this is a conglomeration of a lot of the analyst forecasts. Got a recommendation of overweight price target, $85. Check that out. That's nice um, because pay attention to this. The price target end date is the end of the year. The price is $54, 54 to $85. Can you believe that? 54 is where it's trading as of April 18th, close business. So the upside or downside to the price target is 57.41%. Hmm. I wonder why I was looking at buying it uh, for clients across portfolios and did so uh, when it was actually around that price or cheaper. So I'm excited about the trade because it has a nice upside, FYI. Uh, not that, and obviously uh, you need to, uh, before acting on any kind of 
uh, information, you need to talk to your financial advisor in doing so. Uh, and it's not uh, a recommendation or specific investment advice. I'm just excited about the stock. So we've got uh, investment thesis. We believe Charles Schwab is a well-managed and highly valued company that trades at a premium to its peers based on an industry leading brand for retail financial services. While we acknowledge some of the near-term headwinds that Schwab faces, we view Schwab as a growth company with numerous initiatives to drive both incremental organic growth. We see Schwab benefiting from an engaged retail base that should drive a future generation of Schwab investor clients. We rate the shares overweight. It's valuation following the first quarter 2023 earnings released, our December 2023 price target is now $85 from $86. Historically, Schwab has traded at an 8x multiple over large banks, but we see that premium somewhat lower today, and we arrive at our price target by applying a 16.5 multiple on our 2024 EPS estimates or earnings per share estimates. We note that, uh, that we see Schwab under earning due to a depressed NIM, which NIM stands for net interest margin driven by cash sorting and short-term borrowing or ST borrowing. Uh, risks to the rating and price target, uh, global recovery fades. So if the global market experiences weakness or weaknesses, there is a potential for retail investors to move to the sidelines once again. Such a shift in sentiment could further limit asset growth at Schwab and derail retail engagement. Schwab continues to see good organic growth in assets, but this could slow down in a more uncertain environment. So payment for order flow, or something known as PFOF, uh, order flow, oh, that's, that's partly how they make money. So order routing revenue, also known as payment for order flow or PFOF. So if you hear me say PFOF, that's what I'm saying, is a moderate revenue stream for Schwab, accounting for somewhat more than $1 per trade uh, following the integration with TD Ameritrade. Uh, Schwab has indicated that clients get seven to $8 of price improvement for every dollar of PFOF Schwab receives. In the fourth quarter of 2020, this suggests uh, about 400 million of revenue from order flow and upward of 600 million in first quarter 2021. If this were to be regulated away and the revenue stream were to disappear, we see Schwab having options at about 10% of revenue. Schwab could just let the revenue stream disappear. However, Schwab operated one of the largest market makers in the past, uh, Meyer, uh, Mayer and Schweitzer, M-A-S-H, M-A-S-H acronym. With greater scale today, Schwab has size to start and operate a market-making business, helped further by the acquisition of Ameritrade. While possible, this does not seem like the preferred path for Schwab, given the inherent conflicts of interest in operating a large market maker. Rather, we see the potential for Schwab to internalize like Fidelity or intelligently route like IBKR. Uh, we see the potential for such programs to be designed to generate some income, possibly replacement income for Schwab, other brokers that depend more significantly uh, than Schwab on PFOF revenue could see their business models disappear. And as such, Schwab would likely win more new business. However, Schwab could get hurt by the elimination of PFOF. Higher rates. If interest rates go higher, Schwab may need to shorten duration to match liabilities and might not receive the immediate benefit of higher rates, but they're still in a good position. So cash 
sorting is worse than expected. These are some of the risks. We, we expect cash sorting to be slightly worse than historic levels with 55% of client cash non-yield sensitive. If more cash is yield sensitive, Schwab's balance sheet could be smaller than we currently anticipate and the stock could underperform. Bank regulation weighs on Schwab's NIM or net interest margin, as with like all banks. Following the collapse of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and SBNY, we see the uh, risks of new bank regulations to weigh on Schwab earnings until any potential new rules are formed. The fear of new regulations could be an overhang for Schwab's stock price. Any new regulations could weigh on Schwab's earnings and results. All right. So there is the analyst uh, review of Charles Schwab and some of my opinions, some of their opinions mixed in and uh, very interesting. So uh, on to the next stock. Check it out. Stay tuned. So the next two stocks I'm going to cover are Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Given that there's been a couple of bank failures uh, early on this year, I thought it would be prudent to talk about some of the inside stuff that's going with some of the banking uh, leaders and banking sector. So as a review, Bank of America accepts deposits and offers banking, investing, asset management, and other financial and risk management products and services. The company has a mortgage lending subsidiary and an investment banking and securities brokerage subsidiary. Uh, Vivek Junja, Bank of America analyst, which he's not a Bank of America analyst, but he's an analyst at JP Morgan Equity Research, which is interesting. Uh, and he will provide some commentary. We have an overweight target, price target of $34. The end date for that is the end of the year. Price right now, it's currently trading at $30.56. That represents a 11.26% upside to the price target. And uh, some comments in regards to uh, local peers that you're comparing against when you look at comps that I review on a, a lot of these every quarter, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Wells, Citigroup, uh, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, UBS, Barclays. Um, and obviously there's been trouble with uh, uh, Citigroup recently, Deutsche Bank recently, Credit Suisse recently. It's just, uh, it's interesting how some of these banks, uh, Silicon Valley Bank and then, you know, Signature Bank and some of these are mismanaged. And, uh, and you know, some of these are a long time coming, but let's get back to Bank of America. Uh, I think Bank of America is a solid business. Uh, they, they have Brian Moynihan does a great job at the helm there. And uh, here's the investment thesis coming from an equity analyst over at JP Morgan. We continue, oh, well, and also my own comments, we continue to rate Bank of America overweight. So do we, you know, relative to our universe reflecting the benefit from its strong retail franchise, greater sensitivity, long and short-term rates and uh, relatively lower credit risk. Valuation, we are maintaining our uh, December 2023 price target at $34. Our price target reflects uh, a P over TBV multiple of about 1.3X, our estimated 2024 TBV, and uh, a PE multiple of 9.9 .9 times our estimated 2024 EPS or earnings per share estimates. Our PE multiple is derived after considering Bank of America's historical multiple, including the multiple relative to the pure average multiple in our outlook about future growth and risk. Bank of America is currently trading in at 8.9 X or 8.9 multiple, our 2024 earnings per share estimates. So there's a little bit of upside 
from where the stock is trading currently. Risks to the rating and price target. Bank of America's business and earnings are sensitive to economic and general business conditions. Risks that may affect our outlook for the company include unfavorable regulatory changes, interest rate risk, changes in credit risk profile, changes in capital requirements, actions uh, by rating agencies, changes in overall economic growth and loan growth, and its performance. Uh, nothing special there in the risks. Um, I think what what Vivac stated was basically uh, you could apply that across the board to all banks. Um, there could be risks like that across the board in the banking sector period. And I, and I think that's going to actually uh, come to pass over time as people look at reevaluating uh, how our financial system works. Uh, and I think uh, regulation historically is always behind future advancements in technology. So um, technology is happening faster than regulation and they got to kind of play catch up in my opinion. So um, there you go. There is uh, the wrap up on Bank of America. I'm glad that our, our firm owns uh, some Bank of America and some of the banking sector. Let's dive in to Wells Fargo, uh, pull its tear sheets up. And we've got a neutral rating on Wells Fargo, uh, price target of $45, price target end date is the end of the year, currently trading at $41.87. So it's almost fully realizing the price target for the year. The upside from here uh, as of close of yesterday is only 7.48%. Uh, so uh, they've Vivek uh, is the analyst on this one as well uh, for, for JP Morgan, and he's addressing Wells in the banking sector. Uh, peer group for Wells, obviously U.S. Bank Corp, Bank of America City, PB, uh, PNB, uh, Paribas, Santander, BBVA, and Lloyd's Banking Group. That's kind of the group they have associated to the peer group. Investments thesis, we are neutral uh, as we view Wells Fargo's valuation as appropriate versus peers, considering number one, the timing of the asset cap being lifted Two, Wells Fargo's profitability will likely be tepid even including potential benefit from asset cap being lifted. Three, significant uncertainty remains, but it's longer term earnings and expense outlook. Let's see, number four, high interest rate sensitivity tempered by weakness in market related revenues. We also expect revenue and earnings mix to continue to shift with restructuring by its CEO. By the way, um, I really like Wells Fargo with Charlie Scharf at the helm. The guy is a beast and uh, he was uh, he was a number basically a number two for Jamie Dimon over at J.P. Morgan, and so he's got a lot of that blood in him. And I think he's uh, he was he was stuck with a huge challenge in re turning around that bank from a ton of fraud and wrought with a bunch of business practices that weren't appropriate. And and Wells, the the former CEO, did not do a good job. Um, addressing all of that and shifting with the regulatory tide coming out of the great financial crisis. And so Charlie Scharf has his work cut out for him over there. It's going to take some time, but uh, I think uh, Wells will uh, emerge as a, as a very, very, very strong bank, uh, but it's going to take time and it may uh, take most of his, his duration uh, there uh, to do that. Um, valuation, we are maintaining our December 2023 price target for Wells at $45. Our price target reflects a uh, price uh, TBV multiple of about 1.1, our estimated 2024 TBV and multiple of 9.1x, our estimated 2024 estimates, uh, earnings per share estimates, as well as uh, Wells Fargo's PE multiple is below high quality regional banks 
and high quality G dash SIBs, uh, which means globally systemic uh, banks. So basically they, they're too big to fail. To reflect tepid and uncertain profitability outlook, even when accounting for potential benefits from its asset cap being lifted, as well as its treatment of the G uh, SIB with all the pressures from being in that group and changes in the profile and drivers of earnings growth are um, PTBV and PE multiples are derived from considering Wells Fargo's historical multiple, including the multiple relative to the peer average multiple and our outlook about future growth and risk. Wells Fargo is currently trading at eight times or 2024 20, EPS estimates. So risks to the downside, Wells Fargo's uh, businesses and earnings are sensitive to economic and general business conditions, upside and downside risks that may affect our rating and price target on Wells include a sooner than expected end to the asset cap and uh, other consent orders against Wells for past behavior, obviously. Higher or lower than expected amount of realized net cost savings, evidence of sustainability longer or weaker than expected revenue growth, lower or higher than expected credit losses, and political regulatory changes that impact consumer banking and mortgage businesses, as well as capital requirements. Whew, it's tough out there in the banking world, but I don't feel bad for them because banks make a lot of money just like insurance firms do, I feel like. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, there you go uh, for Bank of America and Wells. That wraps this one up. Let's move on to the next uh, stock. That'll be interesting. I think we'll wrap it up with Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. Stay tuned. So like I said, I have a lot of access to research and great research, not just crappy research, but uh, I do my own research. And then I also look uh, out there at the different analysts uh, ratings and comments and formulate uh, my, our own opinions of whether or not we should buy a stock or how to get invested, if it should be directly into the to the name or it should be through an index. But um, but let's talk about the next two stocks, the two final stocks of this week, uh, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs in the banking sector. I feel like we, I should have tackled tech and banking given that uh, the headlines are there and people are paying attention to those companies and they do own them uh, in client portfolios here at Northbound Wealth Management. So uh, let's talk about JP Morgan. So going into Schwab uh, and their research department, uh, the bulls out there are saying that uh, JP Morgan has emerged as one of the most dominant banks in the United States with leading share in many aspects of banking and financial services. The bank should be in an advantage position for years to come. With JP Morgan, you have had not had to worry about balance sheet or consistent regulatory woes, putting the bank on offense and not constantly in turnaround mode. JP Morgan is investing heavily in, in organic expansion opportunities and its own distribution platforms, which should drive additional share gains over the next decade and secure the best competitive position among its peers. And here's what the bears say uh, to combat that uh, point of view. While higher interest rates are great, they are double-edged sword. If the the higher the net II and solid uh, economy narrative ever begins to reverse, banking profitability and sentiment will suffer. Heavy investments in, or, in organic expansion have increased expenses and hurt results today, and there are no guarantees about what revenue they will generate in the future or when. 
revenue and share payoffs in a competitive industry five to 10 years from now are hard to predict. We may not be done with higher investment spending and negative expense surprises could still be lurking around the corner. Uh, Morningstar fair value estimate is $142.81. That's above where it's trading today or as of close of business yesterday, around $141.50. So um, they have like a neutral, Schwab has a neutral rating, uh, which is classification Schwab equity rating as a C. Uh, what I did do was pull some comments from CFRA, which is CFRA through the Schwab platform is one of the largest uh, independent investment research firms helping subscribers improve their investment and business decision making. CFRA is not affiliated with Schwab, but they do do business with Schwab and allow us access to their research, which is some of the best in the business, uh, not, not including uh, JP Morgan access and access that I have to other uh, research platforms like Morningstar and the like. So just as a review, JP Morgan Chase is a financial holding company. It has four segments, consumer and community banking, corporate and investment bank, commercial banking, and asset and wealth management. Consumer and community banking segment offers products and services to consumers and small businesses through bank branches, ATMs digital, including mobile and online and telephone banking. The investment bank segment consists of banking and markets and security services, offering a suite of investment banking, market making, prime brokerage lending, and treasury and securities products and services to a global client base of corporations, investors, financial institutions, merchants, government, and municipal entities. Uh, the consumer Business segment provides financial solutions, including lending, payments, uh, investment banking and asset management products across three primary segments, middle market, corporate client banking, commercial uh, real estate, and uh, AWM segment is engaged in investment and wealth management. So it's, uh, it's a money center bank. It's large and in charge at the moment. So as of the 14th uh, CFRA, uh, their research reiterates a buy opinion on shares of J.P. Morgan Chase, which was trading at 128.99 uh, at the time they made that. It's now nearly 141, so it's up quite a bit. Uh, we raised our target price by four dollars to 160. So they they predict that it'll go uh, to 160 dollars a share on forward price to earnings of 11.9 times or 2023 earnings per share estimates below the five-year historic average of 12.1 times. We raise our 2023 EPS by $0.70 to $13.50 and leave 2024s at $13.70. So uh, JP Morgan post Q1 2023 EPS of $4.10. Uh, that's 73 cents above consensus estimates with a 7.2% revenue beat to consensus. JP Morgan had 2.28 billion in, in provision for credit losses, uh, flat quarter over quarter. Net interest income or NII or uh, rose 49% year over year with a rise in interest rate spread of 3.80% versus 1.95% and total loans up uh, 5% while deposit related fees were down uh, 4%. We expect the net interest uh, to face tougher comps year over year in the second half of 23 as the Fed pauses its rate, rate rise regime. Consumer net revenue was 35% uh, to the positive with consumer banking lending up 2%, home lending down 38%. Ooh, ouch, that hurts them. And card income of 18% to the upside. Commercial banking revenue was up 46% 
with middle market up 72%, perhaps gaining market share and corporate client banking up 42%, investment banking fees realized. Uh, M&A advisory, which is mergers and acquisitions advisory is down 6% given, you know, obviously the mark, tough uh, market environment. Equity underwriting uh, down 6% and debt underwriting down 34%. The cost of carry and the cost of the Fed raising rates is why that is down so much. Fixed income trading was flat year over year. Equity markets down 12% and security services up 7%. Uh, Kenneth Leon is the analyst at CFRA who wrote that. And uh, I really appreciate the, the insights there as the data comes out. And then just an opinion, um, one of many, uh, there's a lot of analysts covering uh, JP Morgan Chase, but I continue to like the stock company is owned throughout our portfolios here at Northbound Wealth Management, whether directly or indirectly. And obviously is what I say here is not uh, a recommendation at all for anyone to be buying or selling uh, JP Morgan Chase. On to the next stock, we're going to dive into Goldman Sachs. All right, the next stock in this segment is Goldman Sachs, equity research of JP Morgan, Kian Abu Hussein. Uh, she's covers Goldman Sachs. I do like uh, what she has to say and we'll go over what they, what just happened with Goldman. So here we go. Uh, recommendation is overweight price target 415. The end date is the end of this year. The price right now, as of uh, close of yesterday is $333.91. That's a 24.28% upside to the price target of 415 from 333. Um, Let's see here. Peer group for Goldman, obviously, Morgan Stanley, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, UBS. Um, so their investment thesis, we remain overweight Goldman Sachs. We welcome the ongoing refocusing of the group as reflected in the partial sale of Marcus Loan Book during the first quarter of 2023 and potential for sale of the Grensky in the future. Overall, we conclude that the valuation of 92 X uh, or 9.2 multiple on price to earnings, 1.1 multiple price TBV and 11.6% ROTE in 2025 earnings. We see Goldman Sachs as attractive on valuation grounds with material gearing uh, to any recovery in the investment banking division activity or IBD activity, which we currently don't assume in 2023 earnings. Valuation. So GS, which is the ticker symbol for Goldman, is trading at 9.2 times the price to earnings, 1.1x TBV and 11.6 ROTE in uh, 2025 earnings estimates. We value the group on SOTP basis with price to earnings multiple for different divisions differentiated by the quality of the franchise. Example, we use a higher IB and global markets PE multiple than European peers. Our December 2024 SOP based price target is uh, $415 a share. So that's a hundred bucks uh, from where, well, just under a hundred bucks of where it's trading today. Um, okay. So uh, risks to the rating and price target. So key investment risks to the downside include sustained negative performance of the capital markets, providing downside to both the investment banking capital markets business especially fixed income, and the performance of Goldman Sachs assets under management. Decline in equity or debt market performance, which could lead to downside to the holdings of the asset management division of Goldman Sachs. Delivery 
on operating leverage leading to improvement in group efficiency ratio towards about 60% through the cycle target is a key focus area for investors to, in our view, and any slippage would be taken negatively. Progress in reducing the SCB towards about 5% would be welcomed by investors, while any increase from the current 6.3% would be taken negatively. Litigation risks arising from the structured credit crisis could impact banks with material capital market activities like Goldman in general. Je uh, delivery on targets presented at investor update in February of 2023 is a key driver of performance in our view. So there you have it, JP Morgan's Kian Abusin. I hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, I hope that I don't get uh, get backlash for, for butchering a name. Um, anyway, uh, great job with these reports. Um, from time to time, I'll, I'll do this type of exercise. It does take some time for me to do this. Um, it may not be beneficial for you because you're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about and that's okay. Um, I do want to just demonstrate and show that, uh, there's a lot that goes into doing this and looking at these companies. And, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions you have about individual stocks or security selection, as well as portfolio, uh, asset allocation models and, uh, maybe how you should be positioning whether directly or indirectly in some of these names. But, um, and if it even applies to you, uh, some of this stuff doesn't even apply to people. And, uh, but I, I feel like it's necessary to share that on the Northbound Wealth Podcast. I'm excited about this stuff. I love it, passionate about it. And uh, hopefully that shines through. Uh, if you have questions about your unique and specific situation, I'd be happy to address that and uh, conduct a meeting with you to talk through what you're looking at doing specifically for your specific situation. And if you're interested in that dialogue, please give me a call at 317-399-1107. Again, 317-399-1107. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll do this again next week. Talk to you soon.